Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Well, this is Pastor Troy, and it is a non a Sons Daniel and Josh podcast today. Daniel is on vacation, and Josh is out of town, so it's just me here. We didn't pull in any guests. We're just going to uh, look at some. Uh, it was really a great week of reading, so I'm glad I get to do it myself. That way, I get to share everything that I got to see out of it. Uh, it's a rare thing that I got to. Um, do the podcast alone, and uh, I may have shared before, I was in radio for several years, and we, uh, as I got very used to just speaking into a microphone alone, so uh, so this won't be too big a stretch for me, but but the week of reading, if you were have been following along, we're reading through the Bible together, and we went through the book of Esther last week, and finished it out. Esther is a, a powerful book. It's the only book of the Bible that doesn't include the word God. Nowhere in it does it have any mention of God or miracles or anything supernatural, but it is an incredible book of God's providence and bringing salvation to his people and providing deliverance using the powers uh, that be. So we'll finish out Esther, and then we get into the book of Job. And the first few chapters, Job is a long book, so we're going to be there actually for a few weeks, uh, But uh, and, and it can get long in the reading, but the first few chapters are awesome because you have God having this discourse with Satan himself, and, and it's so bizarre because you have God saying to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And and then and Satan saying, well, the reason why he serves you and the reason why he worships you and the reason why he's so good is because you protect him and put this hedge around him. So God removes the hedge and allows Satan to wreak havoc in Job's life. And it's not just kind of havoc. I think it it's so over the top. There's You literally see what happens to Job. And I don't know anyone else who could go through, who has ever gone through the tragedy that he had to endure or the pain and suffering he had to endure. Uh, and just to show that uh, that even in, all, in the midst of all of that, even in the midst of the most difficult pain and suffering, uh, God is still worthy to be worshipped. And so, uh, so we get the beginning. It all happens in the first few chapters. So if you've never read Job before... You turn to Job, read just the first few chapters, and you'll see it. Uh, the action gets underway very quickly. Uh, we have uh, some beautiful passages from Psalms that uh, that we went through this week, and, and may highlight a couple of those. And uh, and then we are in the New Testament in the Book of Romans, and we go from Romans three all the way through Romans eight, and they are some of the best chapters in the Bible. Uh, the Roman Book of Romans is used as a way to lead people to Christ. It's called the the Romans Road, and uh, and we. Um, uh, we are going to be looking at uh, some passages from there because it is uh, Romans is one of the, I think a, a book that I refer to so many times and there are passages in there that are like life verses galore. Uh, but uh, if you have not ever read the book of Romans, then please please take time and go through it and we'll highlight some amazing things that God shares with us for the book of Romans when we return. Okay, 
I am back, and as I said earlier in the podcast, it's just me today, and uh, so I get a chance to share some things that I pulled out of the reading, and hopefully, uh, if you have been reading along in the Bible, or perhaps these are just books of the Bible, you know, if you were just going to read books of the Bible, Esther is an awesome book to read, Job is long, and uh, and but the, like I said, the first few chapters are awesome, last few chapters are awesome, and all the in-between, a lot of discussion but there's some uh, there's there's things to glean from uh, the entire book and uh, Psalm 89, 90, 91, uh, all good uh, reading material. But um, and then Romans also uh, we're we're going to share some of that uh, here shortly. But we're going to start with Esther 4, verses 13 and 14. And it says, and Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It is, that is a, such a powerful uh, passage. And, um, and the words of Mordecai echo the words of our Lord uh, when he said, whoever tries to make his life secure will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Um, Mordecai knew that God in his sovereignty uh, will keep his people for his plan, but fear in disobedience would forfeit Esther's opportunity to be used for his glory. God, God is always inviting us to be a part of his work, not because he needs us, but because he loves us and wants us to experience his will. So often we we fear hinders us from doing that which God has called us to do. And in in the story you have Haman who has created this plan. Mordecai refuses to worship Haman and Haman is infuriated by this. Uh the king Ahasuerus has made Haman his second-hand man uh and in the kingdom and uh gives him his signet ring, allows, gives him a lot of power. And so Haman feels he's worthy to be worshipped, and so people would bow before him when he would walk by. Well, Mordecai wouldn't bow, and so he gets really infuriated, and I think he's going to do something to Mordecai, but the people tell him that it was not just Mordecai. The reason why he doesn't do it is because he's Jewish, and the Jewish people don't bow to anyone but their God. So this infuriates Haman even more, and so he comes up with this plan to destroy all of the Jews. And so he goes to the king and, and talks the king into it. It's kind of a Lord of the Rings moment where you have Wormtongue talking uh, to the king of Rohan. But, uh, but he kind of sways, uh, his, uh, his uh, impresses the king to follow through with this. So the king makes an edict um, through Mordecai, uh, not through Mordecai, through Haman, to uh, eradicate all of the Jews in one day. And so Mordecai puts on sackcloth and ashes and so forth, and uh, and Esther tries to get him to put normal clothes on and not be in sackcloth and ashes because he's drawing attention to himself. And then he looks to Esther and says, you need to go into the king and say something. And Esther's like, if the king doesn't extend the scepter to you when you come in, if you walk into the king uninvited and he does not extend the scepter, the penalty is death. And that's why, and that's why Mordecai goes to him. He says, "Don't think, <clears throat> don't think if you don't, if you just stay there and hide that this is going to escape you, uh, that you're you're still going to die, uh, even if you don't do anything. But if you do something, um, you have the power. Uh, God, there's an opportunity here. And again, God is never mentioned. We, <clears throat> we, excuse me, we know God 
is always at work in and through this. And it's funny, when you're reading Esther, you hear God in it, but you're not actually reading the words. Um, most people, when you tell them for the first time that God has never mentioned in Esther, will will say, no, oh, absolutely, he's in there. He's in this passage, or he's in this passage, or he's in this passage. And you have to go back through and show, nope, he's never mentioned. But we, it's it, it so much... Uh, shows the presence of God that uh, we just insert God into um, the story. Uh, in fact, um, many times people, even that last line where it says, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, people, when they quote it, will say uh, that God has brought you to this place for such a time as this. But God, again, has not mentioned this passage. But the reality for all of us is that uh, we are put in situations and God is moving upon us to act, to take action, even if it's to our own hurt. And if we fear for our life, doing that which we clearly know God wants us to do, um, then Jesus's words come into play. And he's saying, you lay your life down for me. That's that's the, I've called you to lay down your life just like I laid down my life for you. And sometimes we are living sacrifice, meaning we are willing to lay down our lives, but whatever we're doing doesn't actually cost us our lives, even though we're willing to, uh, we are willing to die, but we don't die. Um, and then sometimes we do die and uh, for our faith. And so, but whatever the case, uh, our lives are forfeit in the hands of God and trusting that God has the power either to deliver us or to uh, resurrect us. So, um, so that's in Esther chapter four. And again, it is Esther is uh, I don't have anything else from Esther today, but it is I, I love it because at the end of the story, uh, it is God satisfies so many things. A mistake that was made by Saul um, that he did not kill uh, the king that he was supposed to, and uh, and the uh, and let these people, you know, he, he didn't do the he didn't do what God had asked him to do. And so here you have, and, and the descendants of these people are now in uh, Haman. And so now Haman and his family are destroyed um, as a result of now God fulfilling that which Saul had failed to do earlier. He does it through Mordecai. I want to share uh, something from the Psalms. In fact, I think I got something from every aspect today, Psalm, Proverbs, and Romans, but uh, and, uh, and Esther, maybe even Job. Uh, but um, in Psalm 90, Verses 3 through 5, it says, You turn man to destruction and say, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, and like a watch in the night. You carry them away like a flood, they are like a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which grows up. Can you imagine what the lives of humanity look like from the perspective of God? I mean, you when you when we think about it, uh, we are uh, you have this flood of souls that are coming into the world and then quickly exiting. Uh, nearly 50,000 people a day die worldwide, and that's 54,750,000 people every year, and that number continues to grow. So when we take ourselves 
way too seriously about the the thing the events of our lives we think this this minute is so important or this or this day or we think oh my goodness i i did this and now everything is ruined or or i or i'm so important because i did this for this brief period of time even when these things pass away and nobody will remember them our names even the most, the most popular people you can think of today the most impact world impacting people today in just a few generations, people will not, uh, they will be, uh, they may or may not be in a history book, and kids will not know who they are and fail that test when they're asked who it is. Uh, and that's the best of the best of the best today. Uh, even presidents, if you ask people to name all the presidents, you couldn't get, uh, there are very few people who can do that, who can pull off just naming the presidents. And, and, and if you do, it's just kind of a, you don't know who those presidents are. Many of them, you don't know who they are, you don't know what they did, and so forth. Those are just historians who get paid uh, to do such things. Uh, and so then you take our lives and what we're doing with them, and, and really we're a blip on the radar. And, and from God's perspective, like I said, it's just a flood of humanity. Uh, that's just passing through, and and each life just bleep 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 bleep, bleep and there's and then it just it just moves on. Yet at the same time, as brief as our lives are, as insignificant as our lives are on the grand scale, God knows the hairs on our head. He knows the breaths that we take. He knows every all the all the things that we. I was getting ready to do a police song. Every breath we take, every step you take, uh, he'll be watching you. But that's not a Christian song. Uh, it could be uh, because that's. Uh, exactly what he does but the um you know my attitude about life really needs a serious dose of humility and fear and righteousness um a, 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 a fear of a just and righteous god um i can't save myself by my righteousness i can't make myself get into heaven yet uh i can honor him by living righteously i i need more self-denial and a lot more Christ-exalting in in my lifestyle. Uh, in the same way, I know I need to be serious in getting prepared uh, for for all these things in life. I need to be serious. Uh, you know, we, we get serious about a job. We get serious. I get. I I like to go on hikes and so forth. And and I know we we're getting ready to go into a, a trip to base camp uh, and uh, the toward Mount Everest. We're not going to climb Mount Everest. We're just going to base camp. But also, we're also um, getting ready. I've been to the Grand Canyon, and we've hiked rim to rim to rim. And, and when we get ready for those uh, massive hikes, there's so much preparation and training and so forth and trying to be careful about diet and exercise and so forth. There has to be a lot of discipline just so we won't die <laughs> when we go or we get some type of enjoyment out of it. But the, um, but the thing is, is that that same discipline, that same resolve needs to be just for doing what it is God put me here to do, the mission that God has created for us. We, uh, Paul even tells us that doesn't really uh, doesn't really help me to be physically fit if I am spiritually a disaster. And so we we need to you know eat those two raw spiritual eggs every morning or whatever it is whatever it is we need to do to get ourselves spiritually in shape um, because uh, we want to be live for the glory of God. And 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 you could throw it back I guess and say well if um, if I uh, if my life is so insignificant, what does it matter? And and what it matters is is that my life is insignificant except for that which is fueled by an eternal God. Meaning, when I submit myself to God and walk in in faith, and then He works through me 
then whatever he does through me now becomes significant because it's connected to everything else he does. And if there's one name that people do remember over the past thousands of years, it is the name of Jesus. And so his works are the ones that are going to be exalted, and any work I do in his name will also be exalted. There's another uh, passage we read through last week in Proverbs 22, verses 10 and 11. It says, cast out the scoffer and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. We don't have to literally cast out the scoffer. Uh, I think that's a temptation uh, in our lives when we have uh, the people who are creating all types of difficulty and scoffing. We don't have to throw, if you have a kid like that in your house, you don't have to kick out the kid. You don't have to, uh, we don't have to throw out bad church members who are always scoffing at everything. But I think one of the, the pieces of wisdom here is that we can cast out the scoffer out of our imagination. And what I mean by that is, is that we can bind that about bind that thinking of that person. Because our lives are always going to be filled with people who are saying negative things, people who are always spewing negative thoughts, casting or giving negative energy. Um, you know the type. You you are talking to them, and then somebody calls you, and, and you see even when you see their name on the phone, your heart sinks a little bit. Like, oh my goodness, I don't think I can handle talking to this person today. Uh, or but then you run into them at, on the street, or you see them at church, or or in whatever place, and and then they start talking, and sure enough. The, the negativity, the all they can say are things that are bringing your spirit down. Well, there, the wisdom here is if you will simply just not receive that information. I mean, you can glean from it anything there. That the way I like to think of it is, listen to what people are saying, and I like your like your harvesting words and the words that are from God. Uh, choose those words and keep those words and let those words uh, bear fruit in your life. Anything else, just toss it away. And just uh, and and basically, when you toss out those words, then the contention will leave. You won't feel that pain and repression and and whatever uh, comes after um, comes after they leave. But uh, people complaining and scoffing at the way things are done are are, are sort of are kind of uh, sometimes it can jump right in there into the front seat. But when they and, when those come swirling around in your mind, and, and you know what I mean, they, they're all of a sudden you're thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. I should have said this, or I wish I could say that, or if I could see them again, I'm going to say this. You're you're dwelling on it. You're eating that fruit, really. And, and really, you just need to throw it in the garbage. Just cast it out and uh, and leave that alone. Uh, the other part, um, and basically when I leave it to God, whether the contentious should, like I said, literally need to be cast out, um, uh, is up to God. And so sometimes he takes those things out of our lives. Uh, but sometimes he leaves it there just to see how we uh, how we deal with it. But in order to find favor with my king, and, and this uh, it says uh, he loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. And when we think about our king, which is King Jesus, uh, it, it is a great way to apply this to our life. In order to find favor with my king, who is Christ, my lips should remain gracious and my heart needs to be pure. And, and so that's what God is looking for, gracious lips. So, so as far as it's up to me, I say those things. I say the things that are gracious to other people. And so when, even, when people are spewing contentions or scoffing at me, I don't have to return in kind. I can say things that are uplifting to my Lord and uh, so that he will find. I'm not trying to 
make myself happy. I'm not trying to uh, seek vengeance with the things that I say. I'm not trying to make other people happy. I'm just simply trying to be pleasing to my Lord, and he is pleased with gracious lips and uh, and also a pure heart, which means that I really don't want to say things uh, to hurt you. I don't really want to do things to destroy the world around me. I want to do that which honors Christ and brings glory to him. So good wisdom from Proverbs. Uh, and now a little glance at Job. Uh, like I said in Job chapter 1, um, it, it, we have this amazing conversation. And I'm just going to read you a few verses of 9 through 12. It says, So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand, touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So much is in that passage uh, where you have Satan coming into God's presence and God telling Satan what to do and then Satan doing what God tells him to do uh, and God allowing Satan to do evil things. Uh, and and so it's it's so much to get around, uh, wrap our heads around. It's it's. Uh, um, but anyway, uh, we immediately learn that God will empower Satan to have power over our possessions in order to test whether we love God or we love money or material things, mammon, as the New Testament would say. So uh, just understand that sometimes God, we, in order to, to reveal to us whether we really do, because we say, no, God is, I love God more than anything I have. I love my children more than anything I have or whatever. We, say, we make state, bold statements like that from time to time. But then the word tells us that God allows Satan to test us at our word. And so he says, you think you love, you you say you love me more than everything? Well, then I'm going to let Satan have everything you have. And so Satan comes and destroys everything or takes it or gives it, or does whatever he does uh, in his mean, cruel, evil way. Uh, so it's not God doing the evil. It's God allowing the evil to run its way just to demonstrate whether we are truly faithful to God or not. It also says Satan has the power. To, uh, he has uh, he has the power over the elements because he can he brings this wind in and creates a tornado. He has the power to kill. Um, now he doesn't have this power unless God extends it to him. So ultimately, life and death are in the hands of God. But Scripture tells us that he does uh, empower Satan to uh, to destroy, to wreak havoc with the weather, to um, and actually take human life. So, um, so yeah, Satan is a powerful being, and uh, but he only has the power that God extends to him. Um, sometimes people die simply to reveal more about God, and uh, and so God is still working it together for good. It, it it's uh, you have to understand that we are in an evil age. We are in an age where just Satan being allowed to be around. Is uh, is that God is is extending time? Now you say, well, why would God allow it? Because if God did away with all evil, well, we are swept up in that. We are swept up in the evil because right now we all still belong to the enemy unless we've been redeemed, unless we've been uh, bought 
from the enemy. And so I'm, I've been redeemed. I've rescued from Satan. Um, you may have been rescued and redeemed. So why are we still here? Well, we're still here to be a part of God's plan to redeem others. So when we all are redeemed that need to be redeemed, uh, then we can uh, Jesus can come back and put punish Satan and all of his followers and and then bring an end to the world. It's, it's spelled out for us in Revelation. But uh, but that yeah, if you everybody's like, well, I wish God if God could get rid of evil, why didn't he just get rid of evil? And he says, well, if he got rid of evil, he probably would be getting rid of you. And uh, and it's because of his grace and love for you. Because I I think back to the day. I mean, just think of it. If one day before I was uh, before I met Jesus and and saved him, if God had chosen that day to eradicate all evil, I would have been lost. Uh, but because of his love for me, he held off at least for the. Uh, Till now, so all the people who got saved today in the world, uh, he waited till today uh, because he wanted those people to be saved. And so those we're praying for to be saved that haven't been saved, God is staying His hand. He's that's why He's still allowing evil to do its thing, but He's using uh, Satan. He's because He's God and He can. And Satan is so deceived, he's self-deceived, uh, believing that this is the time He's going to beat God. Uh, this is the time He's going to win uh, because He's self-deluded. But uh, but. Anyway, so but he does have the power to kill. He does have power over the elements, but it is only what God extends to him, and it is to reveal more about God and his truth. And God also, we know that God puts hedges around us to protect us and to bless us, um, but we are to love him and worship him even when those hedges and protections are removed. So it's not a bad thing to want God to have a hedge of protection around you. I pray for that hedge of protection around people, around my family and friends and so forth. But but when it's removed, uh, God is still God and you have to trust that uh, he has a purpose and a plan for it. The book of Job is is amazing. Um, another passage from Psalm, Psalm 92, uh, verses four through seven, it says, for you, Lord, have made me glad through your work. I will triumph in the works of your hands. O Lord, how great are your works. Your thoughts are very deep. A senseless man does not know, nor does a fool understand this. When the wicked spring up like grass, and when all the workers of iniquity flourish, it is that they may be destroyed forever. When I choose to walk in the steps the Lord has prepared for me in the power of the Holy Spirit, I have victory, and I am triumphant, because God does all the work, and therefore he's worthy of all the glory. There may be tares everywhere, but it is only that they will grow to fruition to be reaped for destruction. There's no joy to be had in that. It's just a reminder that our Lord is just, and if we lean on him, he will protect us from the enemy. Um, And then a couple of things from Romans that were awesome this week. From Romans 6, 1 through 4, Paul says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Jesus gives us the ability to be as we shall be for all eternity. When we choose to die to sin, we are willingly walking in the life he died for us to have. So why would we pursue the flesh at all? 
when we have chosen to follow the Lord who promises to crucify it. If we believe that life in Christ is what we truly desire, uh, then we should strive to live as sons and daughters of the resurrection. And here's here's the challenge: it's uh, we, you know, it was why why do I choose to do that which I despise? Paul even makes that lament, and and the reality is is that I need to be rescued from this flesh. I uh, I have been empowered not to, and so uh, so. So the idea is that uh, I I need to always walk as a risen person. But even though I have been saved and am being sanctified, I still live in this fallen nature. I still have this this body that has these desires that pull me away from God uh, that are still present. And so I'm battling inside every day. And Satan is appealing to his desires. He knows the things that will draw us out. And, you know, it's like a box of donuts sitting in the office. It's like, I know I'm not supposed to have those donuts. I don't want those donuts in my head, but they really, donuts are really good. And when they're like the favorite donut you want, it's like the donut that you really want to eat. It's like, oh, my goodness. So yeah, that's because your body, the body that you're in, loves donuts. And, uh, and so you're craving that donut and it looks really, really good. And you know, there's a price to pay for eating that donut, but, um, you eat it anyway. Um, and so in the future you say, well, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to eat those donuts. So maybe don't go in the room where the donuts are or find a way to, or have a friend hold you accountable not to eat the donut. We try to find ways to maintain our walk with Christ. So we remain faithful to him because it is by, abstaining from the things that uh, God asks us to abstain from. It's by doing the things that God asks us to do that we learn more about Jesus, that we walk in the Spirit, that we experience him in a greater level, that he is able to fulfill his will through us in a way that both rewards us and brings him glory. Because he can work his will through us, and even we are unwilling, um, even when we are um, non-believers, uh, he used all kinds of pagan people to accomplish his will, but there's no reward for those people because they were not wanting to do his will. Uh, there is a reward for those who willingly do his will as a means to bring glory to him. And then another passage from Romans chapter 8, because Romans chapter 8, if you don't read any, if you don't get a chance to read anything else this week, even though this was last week's reading, if you didn't do last week's reading, go back and read Romans 8. Uh, what a powerful chapter of God's word. But uh, just a few verses from there, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. To be carnally minded is death that's uh, i mean when we when we are thinking about how to feed our flesh and 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 give the flesh what it wants that pathway is to death it, it there, it's one thing to be trying to walk on a path uh that god has for you trying to be obedient to him and constantly being uh, lured but fighting against that those that, those allurements fighting against those things that want us to pull us away from god that's one thing but to willingly just turn and say, you know, forget what God wants. I want to feed the flesh. I want to do what I want to do. I want to be who I want to be. I want to say the things I want to say. I want to eat the things I want to eat. I want to go to the places I want to go. I want to do the things I want to do. Well, that's just, that's carnally minded, and that leads to death. Um, 
the enemy offers to feed our flesh because he knows it will lead to our destruction. Life in the Spirit is life and peace and joy. Uh, so we battle against our flesh, we battle against the world, we battle against the devil and his minions. Uh, are con- we're constantly doing that because that is the only way we get to a place where we can have actual true peace and joy. I hate, I hate the moments of weakness. I hate the moments of failure in my life. But when they come, it's important that I stand up as quickly as possible, that I realize I'm not where I need to be, not doing what I need to be doing, stand up as quickly as possible, repent, repentance is being aware I'm going in the wrong direction, stopping going in that direction, turning around back toward Christ, and then beginning to work, walk toward Christ. Uh, and that's when we do that as quickly as possible. Uh, Jesus says if you have to cut off a hand to do that, if you need to pluck out your eye to do that, you need to cut off your foot to do that, do that, because it's better for you to cut off that part of your body and get back to following me uh, rather than uh, to offend and be punished for all eternity. So whatever is keeping, whatever's making the offense happen over and over again, cut that offense out of your life. So some good words from the word of God. I got a couple of questions I'm going to address and we'll do that as soon as we get back. We're at the last segment of our podcast where we deal with questions uh, that have been asked. And uh, today, just a couple of questions I get actually asked quite a bit. Um, and uh, one that people are afraid to ask, because when you are in the uh, in Baptist churches or in conservative evangelical churches and so forth, uh, we get really antsy about asking uh, whether this is real or not real. And uh, but it, but this is a this is a a fair question and the question is is Job a parable or did it really happen is Job a true event and um and some and really this is not as cut and dried as you might think I I of course I I grew up thinking uh, everything in the Bible of course is uh, true and 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 it is everything's inspired. But then you start thinking, Jesus told parables, he told stories, and he had a point to those stories. Could the entire book of Job just be, because it is an odd book, because it talks about this thing going on in heaven. Um, It's over the top uh, with the amount of punishment that Job endures. His friends are horrible that come along and so forth. And it's it's written, uh, and the things they're saying, it's like, do they really have these conversations and so forth? Is this how they really said these things? And so forth. So uh, it, it kind of makes you think that somebody was writing it to have a moral of the story. If that's true, and, uh, and really God ultimately knows the answer, uh, there are, uh, it is a, um, it still has a lot of, of um, I'll say, there's a lot of merit. Uh, just like I said, like the parables of Jesus, there are so many truths that we can draw out of the book of Job without having to, for it having to be exactly uh, true. But there are many good reasons, and, I, and let me just say for the record, I do believe the book of Job is true, that Job is an historical person, and, uh, that, uh, that, that, and I do draw from those events and say he does reveal to us this about Satan, reveals to us this about uh, how God interacts and, and these truths, as if those things actually happened, because I believe they actually happened. And so that's, 
that's kind of what, uh, and, and there's some reasons for that. Uh, and the reasons for that, uh, I, I lean on uh, John Piper uh, a little bit for this because uh, he argued that point and, and made some good points that I remember, but also had uh, have to give a little bit of credit to um, uh, Dr. Betts, who was my uh, Old Testament professor at, at Southern Seminary. That's one of the cool things about going to seminary is you get to ask questions like this, and uh, we spend a lot of time on the book of Job and so forth. But... Um, but in Job 1.1, it says there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that's one of the identifying factors of real people uh, like Daniel and, uh, and Abraham and, and everybody. They, they will say there was this person and they came from this place. And, uh, and so when they give a place, a specific place, uh, usually there is a... Um, uh, like in 1 Samuel 1.1, 1, 1, when that starts out, there was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. That's how the story of Samuel begins. Uh, and Samuel, we never dispute that Samuel was an actual uh, person. Um, and there is, uh, in Ezekiel, we have some uh, instances where Job is listed with Noah and Daniel, uh, Ezekiel says Noah and even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the land, uh, basically uh, they would deliver their own lives by their own righteousness, but they wouldn't deliver everybody else. Well, the fact that he puts them in a list with uh, Noah and Daniel, and again, there's no disputing Noah, there's no disputing Daniel as real uh, people. Uh, and so Job being added to that list adds credence to the fact that uh, he is a real person as well. And then in James chapter 5, uh, he uh, James uh, refers to, uh, gives a, um, uh, says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. Um, now, it's, again, it could be um, a reference to a fictional character or whatever, but at the same time, uh, he uh, he puts Job in the same grouping as the prophets. And so that, again, would be a reason uh, for believing Job to be a real person. So, uh, so anyway, if you, it's really, you're going to, you kind of lean one direction or another. I, I want to believe that Job is real. I, so I'm, I'll just readily admit that. And at least I have some backing of scripture to back that up. Uh, and so, uh, so I think you can feel confident of that if you were, so if you have friends who are telling you, you know, Job is a myth and it's a fable there, uh, I mean, it, could it be a parable? It, it, it could be, it could be, um, but, um, I don't believe it to be. And I think it's, uh, important, uh, that it's not the, um, the other question I wanted to deal with as we close out today is just, and when we're reading through Romans, even though uh, Paul talks about how we are saved by faith, that's we are justified by faith, uh, saved by faith through grace, and saved by grace through faith, I guess I should say. And, um, and so, but we are justified by faith alone, as Martin Luther would point out, that Paul expresses to us in Romans. So, the question is, uh, and Paul deals with in, in 6, he says, what should we say then? Should we continue in sin so that grace may abound? Um, and he says, absolutely not. Of course we should not. And I think we all know that. But a question that gets asked to me when people are reading through is, how, how much can I sin and still be saved? How much can I, because he says, because Paul pretty clearly says, you live in the flesh, you will die. And yet, 
people live in the flesh they don't seem to die uh people commit sins we still say they're christians and so forth so it's like how much can you sin and still get away with it uh i'm just going to point out that that's a horrible question that's like how much can i hate my wife and her not leave me uh that's a, you're a horrible husband if you ever say anything like that because the, the reality is is how much more can i love god in spite of my sin. Our attitude, our focus always needs to be on repentance. We know that, uh, and, and this is this is a, a, what I call assurance of salvation is what people are looking for. And I tell people, if you are following Christ faithfully and put your faith in him, then you have complete assurance. You feel confident in your faith because you are walking with Christ. If you are walking with Christ in obedience to him, you know you are saved because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to walk with him. When sin comes in and we begin to question or wonder whether we are truly walking with God or whether we're truly okay, it's by design that you feel that way because God is using that fear. He is using that that uh, that unsure nature to drive you back to him. It's like a child who is separated from their parent and wondering if they're going to be okay and wondering if they're lost or what their parents are ever going to find them. The only way to have the assurance that everything's going to be okay is for them to get reconnected with their parent. Um, and when that reconnection comes, it's a beautiful moment. Everybody's happy. The child appreciates the parent even more and and then will should take measures not to become lost again because of the horrid nature of being uh, that, of that feeling of lostness. Now, was that child ever not with that parent? Is that child ever not did were they ever not the parent's child? Were they, no, the parent was always looking for the child and everything was always okay. The child just didn't know it. Uh, but it's that lack of assurance that drives us to get back with our Heavenly Father. So uh, so don't, if you're asking the question, how much sin can I commit? Then that just, you may be lost. You may not be a follower of Jesus Christ uh, because followers of Jesus Christ don't ask that question. And so uh, how do you reconcile that? One, repent, don't ask the question, and seek out Christ and follow him and stay close to him. So that's it for us today. And next week we will have our all old gang back for what is obviously a much better podcast when we're all here. So I do appreciate them and miss them. Uh, but uh, but for now, uh, just uh, I hope you'll pick up the reading and join us. Uh, you can see our reading on our, our, our Facebook page, our, not our Facebook, our website www.fbcj.us you can see where we are in the reading join right in and uh, and join us next week thanks again for listening to the understanding jesus podcast if you would like more information on understanding jesus or first baptist church of jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us thanks so much we'll see you soon